Hello, family. Welcome to episode 116 of The Genius Life. What up, what up, what up? What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods and The Genius Life. On this episode of the show, I'm super excited to introduce you to my friend, Vishen Lakhiani. Vishen is an amazing guy. He is a, he's a very successful entrepreneur. He's the founder of Mindvalley. Mindvalley is the largest online personal growth platform in the world. He's also a meditation teacher and he is a two-time New York Times best-selling author. His first book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, was a game changer in the personal development space. And his latest book, which just came out, is called The Buddha and the Badass, The Secret Spiritual Art of Succeeding at Work. So we're going to get into just what uh, The Buddha and the Badass is all about over the course of the next hour. Whether you are a um, whether you're a student, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you are just trying to get your dream passion project off the ground, this episode of the show is going to provide a lot of value to you. We're also going to talk about how to make an impact in the world at large, um, and uh, and we're going to talk about Vision's um, the meditation technique that Vision uses to boost alpha waves in his brain that he says is... Um, in no small part related to the massive success that he's seen over the years growing his business to $100 million in revenue. So there's a lot of great stuff that you are going to be able to glean from this episode, and I'm pumped for you to uh, listen to it. It was a really great chat. Before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to the sponsors of this episode of the show. This episode is brought to you by my good friends at Perfect Keto. Perfect Keto makes a number of really tasty products uh, and helpful products that are there really to serve you if you are on a ketogenic journey, whether you are on a ketogenic diet for neurological um, benefits or whether you are on it for weight loss. Uh, people choose to um, to adopt a ketogenic diet for any number of reasons. And Perfect Keto is a fantastic resource, um, making products that are there to, uh, again, keep you on track and to make the diet, which is admittedly a pretty difficult di diet to adhere to, to make that journey a little bit easier. I'm actually, in particular, a huge fan of their newest product, product, which happened to be keto cookies. So if you are like me and you enjoy the occasional sweet treat, you're going to freaking love Perfect Keto's new keto cookies. They have flavors like peanut butter, chocolate chip, double chocolate. They're really delicious. And I'm not just saying that. They've somehow managed to make a shelf-stable keto cookie that is just a game changer. It's the bomb. If you want to check out anything that Perfect Keto produces, you can go to perfectketo.com and use promo code genius. And if you buy one product, you'll get the second thing that you buy at 40% off plus free shipping. Buy one, get one product off at 40%. Uh, buy one, get one product 40% off um, plus free shipping. It's a really great deal. And uh, if you're just dipping your to toe into the Perfect Keto pool, I recommend checking out their, man, their keto cookies are so good. I'm not just saying that, they're really, really tasty. Um, so yeah, they also make protein bars and things like that. Check them out. This episode is also sponsored by Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon makes a, oh my God, they make the tastiest high protein, low carb, sugar-free cereals that I have ever had ever. They're so good. I've tried a bunch of their competitors and I can honestly say that Magic Spoon tastes the best. If you are comfortable with dairy, 
um, because their cereals are dairy based. Uh, they just, they, I mean, they taste amazing and they just came out with two brand new flavors and you should definitely try them. One is peanut butter and one is honey nut. So, I mean, you can only imagine how delicious those taste. If you want sugar-free, grain-free cereals um, that you can eat for breakfast, that you can eat post-workout, that you can eat after dinner as a dessert and not feel guilty about, check out Magic Spoon. They also, of course, they have a cocoa flavor. They have cinnamon. They have frosted if you um, miss, you know, having frosted flakes or frosted mini wheats. Um, I just, I don't even know how they did it. The, the cereals literally are magic. They taste so damn good. And again, you know, whether you're on a low carb diet, whether you're just on a sugar free diet, whether you are on a ketogenic diet, um, these are a great snack to be able to have. Um, I mean, I'm just so grateful for them. So go to magicspoon.com and use promo code genius. You'll get to save off of shipping, free shipping. If you go to magicspoon.com and use promo code genius, there, oh my God, peanut butter and honey nut. Just so amazing. We're so lucky to have this company uh, sponsoring the podcast. So thank you to Magic Spoon, magicspoon.com, promo code genius, free shipping. All right, guys, we're just seconds away from diving into uh, this chat with Vishen Lakiani. He's an amazing dude, very smart, very well-spoken. Grew up in Malaysia. Imagine that. Um, we talk a little bit about that at the beginning. Just a few housekeeping notes. Uh, I am on the Minimalists podcast this week. So if you... Want to hear me have a great conversation with two really smart dudes who are dedicated to uh, living a more simplistic life. Um, check out the Minimalists podcast. Uh, I am on it this week. Um, so uh, we had a great chat. We talked about uh, how to beat extreme stress. We talked about why non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs are not great for you um, to take chronically. We talk about uh, how to reduce inflammation with your, with your diet. I sort of give my high level thoughts on, uh, the carnivore diet versus veganism versus a more omnivorous diet. It was a, it was a, a great chat. So again, check that out. Minimalists, the minimalist podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. I also want to give some love to iTunes user, Yuna, Lani710, who left this glowing review for the podcast on iTunes. Unilani710 wrote, Max does such an excellent job with this podcast. The content is not only interesting, but most importantly, Max presents it in a way that is easy for anyone to understand. You'll find that his books are exactly the same. But the thing that I enjoy most about this podcast is that Max brings on guests who are so, so, so passionate about their fields of expertise, and it shows. I've been binge listening, and from the first episode to the most recent, every podcast is just oozing with passion, creativity, and deep knowledge. Well, Unilani710, you are definitely going to love this episode of the show because Vishen is uh, super passionate. Um, he's a guy who has obviously done his homework with a number of different spiritual traditions. And whether you're religious or not, I'm not personally religious. Uh, I think his message is ultimately a secular one. And again, it's going to be really useful, I'm sure, for anybody who is trying to get their passion project off the ground or just to be more successful in their, in their professional lives, really. Um, so yeah, join my newsletter, maxlugavir.com. Sign up for my text message community by texting the word genius to 310-299-9401. Follow me on Instagram at maxlugavir. It's M-A-X-L-U-G-A-V-E-R-E. -E. Follow me on Twitter. I'm there too. And, uh, yeah, now without further ado, here's my good friend, Vishen Lakiani author of the new book, The Buddha and the Badass, and the founder of Mind Valley, which uh, is dope. Here we go. 
Vishen Lakiani, thank you so much for uh, for being with me on the Genius Life, brother. Hi, Max. I'm I'm you know I'm such a big fan of yours and everything that you stand for, so I'm so honored to be on your podcast. Well, uh, the feeling is mutual. I love what you are up to over at Mind Valley, and I'm a big fan of your new book, The Buddha and the Badass. So uh, I'm excited to talk. You about got it. one of the early copies. Phenomenal. You know, I've not even seen that cover. Yeah, I've got friends in high places, Vision. So they you are a, so connected. They, I'm, I'm amazed at what you can pull off. <laughs> I would love one of those copies because I, that's that's the original cover that was later scrapped. The new cover, significantly, significantly better. Wow! Right? But you know, there's what you have is actually a rare copy. There's only about a hundred of it in the world. It's a collector's edition. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, I want to talk about your book, The Secret Spiritual Art of Succeeding at Work. What a great subtitle that is. Um, but before we get to that, um, I would love to introduce my listeners to you um, with your backstory. So right. I, I know that you've got this um, illustrious backstory. I mean, you're a very successful entrepreneur. You've had jobs also in corporate America. Um, mm-hmm. And you've grown up um, in... Uh, in Malaysia, which is amazing. So right. I kind of want to like, yeah, just, you know, and just for my own, you know, cause I feel like we've hung out so many times. Um, but, uh, but we've actually never, like, I want to hear about what it was like to grow up in Malaysia and then to make that leap. Absolutely. So, so the Buddha and the badass comes from, comes from my, my backstory. I was working in corporate America in Silicon Valley. Um, I had moved to Silicon Valley fresh out of school. So I graduated from Michigan, the University of Michigan, illustrious school, electrical engineering, computer science. I thought, man, when I moved to Silicon Valley, the entire world is going to be open to me. When I moved to Silicon Valley, my timing sucked. The dot-com bubble burst. And all of a sudden, Silicon Valley went into like self-destruction mode. So all of a sudden, I had 30 grand that I borrowed from my father. I was intending to use that 30 grand to start a company to start a company i i love i was specializing in community software software that brings people together all of a sudden i was running out of cash um i was i could no longer afford rent so i was literally renting a couch from a college student in berkeley i had a beat up car with brakes that didn't work i got into a car crash now i owe the car insurance company finally i got a job a shitty job in um in pleasanton california and I had the job for three months when September 11 hit. And the company went out of business after September 11. And they went out of business so brutally, I never even got my last month's salary. So here I was, completely broken, feeling like a failure, sleeping on a friend's couch, owing money to um, car insurance company because I literally hit a minivan because I couldn't afford to fix my brakes. It was one of the dumbest mistakes I ever made. And... And I was just resume spamming Craigslist to get any job I could. And finally, I get a job. But it's now December. It's December 2001. Okay. And I get a job and it's a dialing for dollars job. So I have to sell software to Texan lawyers. So here you have this Malaysian kid. And my accent was a little bit more Malaysian at that time. <laughs> I had to go to the San Francisco Public Library, check out the yellow pages for, say, San Antonio, call every lawyer to A from A to Z. And basically be a glorified telemarketer and sell sell software to these lawyers. Get these lawyers interested in, in learning about our company's case management software. And when you do that, you will hear more people tell you to fuck off than you ever dreamed possible. So one day, 
after the 13th, the 12th or 13th lawyer told me to fuck off, kid. I sank into a period of self-loathing and depression. And it was a dark period. And, and I, I just felt like a miserable failure. Because here I was, I was maybe 25, 26. Um, all my dreams had, had been dashed. Now, in desperation, I got on Google. And I can't remember what I put in. I think, see, back then, Google was a, t a new search engine. It was now maybe February 2002, right? Maybe I typed in, Google, please save me. Or Google, tell me why my life sucks so bad. Google pointed me to a website on meditation. It was something called the Silva Method. I took that class and it transformed my life. Um, the, the actual class was called Silva Ultramind. It transformed my life. I came back to work. And see, that class was about going within, accessing altered states. So Jose Silva, uh, coincidentally, he was a Texas, Mex a Tex-Mexican uh, um, um, entrepreneur who lived between Laredo, Nuevo Laredo in Mexico, and Laredo in, te in, in Texas. And he developed a method in the 70s and 80s of brain training. He would teach people how to access altered states, the alpha level of mind, the theta level of mind, and unlock human abilities that we often don't pay attention to. For example, when you go into alpha, you can instantly bring calm into your life. You can reduce stress. You can visualize outcomes and accelerate healing. Dr. O. Carl Simonton, the famous cancer pioneer, he calls Silva's methods for alpha visualization during healing the most effective treatment he had found for healing cancer. But Jose Silva also found that you could go into deeper levels of mind, the theta level of mind, hmm. and tap into psychic ability or intuition. That was what I was interested in. So I thought, well, okay, if I can really practice and train my brain to access this theta level of mind, what if, what if I knew exactly which lawyers to call? So rather than they telling me to fuck off, they instead signed a check. And so with that intention, I went to the Yellow Pages. This was Monday. I finished the class Sunday. I, I'd flown to LA for the class. I flew back. I flew back Sunday night in San Francisco. Monday morning, I'm with my Yellow Pages for San Antonio or whatever the city was in Texas. But this time, I go into my alpha, then theta level of relaxation. This is a Now, this is a scientific process, mind you. You're slowing down your brainwave frequency. I set an intention, and I move my hands down the Yellow Pages, and I... I and as I move my hands with my eyes closed, I ask myself, should I call this person? Yes, no. Should I call this person? Yes, no. Jose Silva said, when you're tapping into intuition, the first impulse will feel like a guess, but it is usually the correct one. Hmm. Now, that day, that, that week, I doubled my sales. Now, being an engineer, I had everything in a spreadsheet. I knew exactly how many people to call to get how many assistants to get through, how many lawyers would give me 20 minutes of their time, how many lawyers would then ask for uh, more information, how many lawyers would then sign. A sale was $2,000. I would make 600 bucks commission as a sales agent, right? So I knew that in an average week, I would close one sale, 600 bucks a week. It, it, it was barely a living in San Francisco, but it allowed me to get off a couch. Now, that week, I did two sales, and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool. Maybe it's just coincidental, but the following week, Again, two sales and two sales. Now I brought in another technique, creative visualization. I would visualize the outcome I wanted. Now I was doing four sales. So I brought in another technique. Now I was doing eight sales. In four months, Max, I was promoted three times and I was made director of sales three months from taking that class because I had just elevated my potential to a whole different degree. Then I decided to use this. I knew my company. So now I was the VP of sales. Um, 
um, for San Francisco. And they decided that they wanted to, to set up a New York office. Um, so they shipped me out to New York and put me in charge of finding their New York office. So I built up the company's office in New York and I stayed with that company for 18 months. And then I felt this inner yearning. Gosh, like I already, so in the company, I was now director of sales. I was now director of business development. My mind was so focused. I could do two jobs at once, but my boss wasn't the nicest man. And um, I had this inkling that I had to leave the company. I just had this inner inkling and I knew to listen to my intuition. So I decided to quit and start my own business, except I didn't know what to start. Now, I remember Nelson Mandela had said, if you want to change the world, change education. Hmm. So I thought, okay, well, I wish someone had taught me these abilities much at a much earlier age. Why was this not in the University of Michigan school curriculum? So I decided to become a meditation instructor. I signed up with the Silva Ultramind system. I got trained to teach their program. And um, I became a successful meditation instructor for about five years. Now, as successful as you can get as a meditation instructor, right, which doesn't mean you're, you're swimming in riches, but you're earning a decent living. And I was really happy. But from there, I did that for five years. And then I had an inkling to play bigger and play bigger and play bigger. And it was around 2008, 2010 that I started creating the company that would later become Mind Valley which today is the world's, probably the world's most innovative company in personal growth. Um, over 300 employees. We now represent the Silver Ultramind system. Uh, we now publish many of the world's greatest personal growth programs in everything from health to wellness to fitness. We are now bracing for an IPO. Um, but the thing is, I built this company to about 100 million in revenue with zero VC funding. It's very rare for a startup to do that. But I did that by applying the methods I learned in meditation, in mind training, into entrepreneurship. And I promised myself, if I got to 100 mil in revenue, I obviously you don't get there without pain, without agony. I almost went bankrupt three times. I learned from that. But what I wanted to do is put my learnings in a book so that other entrepreneurs could find this path. They could build businesses without, without killing themselves, without destroying their health, while being happy, while having a great team while having a workspace that they enjoyed showing up into every day. And and I wrote the book, The Buddha and the Badass, to talk about how to do this, how to bring your spirit, your soul, your mind into your business. The Buddha is the archetype of the spiritual avatar. It's the it's the the spiritual master within you. All of us have that. We are all made of the same stuff. The badass is the change maker. The entrepreneur, the rebel, the revolutionary, the person who wants to shake things up and disrupt the status quo. When you bring them both together, you get the Buddha and the badass. And this book shows you how to merge both. So it's part business book. It's part spiritual book. And I sought out the best practices in business that are actually tapping into nuances of the human soul. And I created systems to apply them to work. And I share them in this book. I really like that. I mean, you know, I don't know a whole lot about Buddhism, but I knew I do know that one of the tenets of Buddhism is that, you know, all all in all life there is suffering, and that the only way to abolish suffering is really to cease uh, any right. any desire. But you know, you desired to be a, a fully expressed, right. fully actualized, successful human, right? And so, how do you? I mean, how do you reconcile that with like? So 
you know the fact so that that's the, 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 the fact that the teachings of the buddha are maybe to you know like renounce everything and go live up on a mountaintop somewhere uh, and live in a, well, a, an ascetic life well first things first this, this book isn't about buddhism it is inspired by the archetype of the buddha the buddha as a word simply means spiritual nature within you right so it's since it's it's but i grew up in a hindu family uh, we practice hinduism and buddhism so um i felt that this wasn't a form of cultural appropriation because i grew up in asia in a hindu buddhist family but the book doesn't bring in any of my religious beliefs this book however brings in modern day spiritual um science and and that that's a real thing right now intuition has been studied in the university of edinburgh in duke university we know it's a thing the ability for the mind to heal the body has been studied countless times and so a lot of these this is what i cover in the book but let but let me go back to your question the buddha did not this it wasn't that the buddha wanted nothing it wasn't that he he renounced all desires the buddha had desires the buddha desired to understand and empathize with the poor. The Buddha desired to go into a samadhi or unification experience with the universe. The Buddha desired to meditate under a Bodhi tree. The thing is, we believe, in the words of Ken Wilber, we believe that our spiritual saints and sages are perfect. That Ken Wilber's, Ken Wilber's exact wording in a famous essay he wrote called Egolessness says this, we believe that our spiritual sages and saints from Moses to Jesus to Padma Sambhava were feeble-minded milquetoasts, devoid of all the desires and wants and attributes of the ego. But this is far from true. Even Jesus brought a bullwhip into a temple. These people were not ego minus, they were ego plus. They were everything spiritual plus the ego, but they used their ego to create revolutions that rattled the world and changed the course of human history. Jesus was a badass. So was Muhammad. So was Buddha. Think about what these men represented. But let's talk about, it, with everything happening in the world today, let's talk about a modern-day Buddha badass, Martin Luther King. Mm. So a lot of people believe that to be spiritual means to opt out, to be neutral. That is not true. I opened chapter 6 of this book. This book is actually dedicated to MLK. Oh, wow. So um, he was one of the biggest influences in this book. And chapter six starts with this quote. And I want to read it out to you guys and, and the audience, because I think it's so relevant, given what's happening in the world today. MLK said, power without love is reckless and abusive. And love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice and justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. Martin Luther King. This was from um, a, a speech he gave at the, I believe it was the Southern Baptist Convention in the 1960s. Now what MLK is saying is that you cannot have power without love. Our leaders need compassion. Our leaders need to empathize. We see that, I mean, we, we're seeing what happens right now when you have leaders who cannot display empathy. Hmm. And I'm, and, Trump, for example, um, is a leader with immense power, very little display of love. And you are seeing so many Republicans now move against him from Colin Powell's morning announcement today to the rumors that George W. Bush will not be um, vetting him as president. Power without love is dangerous. But at the same time, on the liberal side, you often have love without power. Mm. Now, there's a famous Jewish 
philosopher who analyzed MLK's text and wrote this book. Let me pull it up. Yeah, it please. is it's called Power and Love. Now, I have it somewhere in my room. I have like a gajillion books here. <laughs> but um, but in Power and Love, what he says is that there are two types of love, right? There is love that there is love that can lift you up and lift others up. It's love that's helping you grow and helping others grow. But there's the opposite of love. There is a love that can suppress your growth and suppress others' growth. And this is when you believe that love causes you to stay neutral. That love means you have to opt out. That love means you will not raise your voice politically. You will not become an activist because that means attacking something. And that love is dysfunctional because you prevent growth. What he said, and I'm trying to bring up his name right now because I want to honor him as an author. It's called The book is called Power and Love. Um, it is... Here it is, Power and Love, A Theory and Practice of Social Change by Adam Kahane. So Adam Kahane is his name. What Adam Kahane says is, the opposite of war is not peace. The opposite of war is creation. Hmm. If you believe the opposite of war is peace, you could be living in a society that is dysfunctional. You could be living in a society where there are groups that are oppressed and you will not raise your voice. But if you look at at change my 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 um part of my family grew up in soviet russia right um my my ex-wife christina uh, the mother of my children she grew up in a communist country in estonia communism was brought down by leaders who stood up and protested and today we are seeing the protest movement take a beautiful new form in the united states where racism is being protested that is power combined with love People are, people are stepping into their power to fight for love. Let's go back to what Luther said. Power at its best is love implementing the demands of justice. And justice means you cannot sit still when other people are oppressed. Justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. And that's a message for our politicians, for our police officers. Power correcting everything that stands against love. And so... This is when, this is how you operate when you bring the Buddha and badass into your life. Now, this book is not, is, if you're an activist, this book is great. But if you're an entrepreneur, what does that mean? It means take a fucking stand. <laughs> it, means, it means don't go out there and say, you know, I'm a health coach. Like I, I, I talk about, I, talk about um, I want to teach people nutrition. Take a stand. Speak up against the companies who are putting bad food out there. Speak up against corporate America that's taking fake products, which are not food, and promoting this. Speak up against Coca-Cola, which is high fructose corn syrup promoted as happiness in a red can. Now you do that. This is why you'll notice there are so many people who speak up for health. You're the one I share on my Instagram mm -hmm. because you fucking take a stand that so many people don't. And when I ask them why they're like, I, I, I'm going to lose my followers. I'm going to lose Instagram. What if Coke sues me? Yeah. That's opting out. Yeah. The Buddha was never neutral. The Buddha took a stand. He walked out of that palace against his parents' wishes to go and connect with the poor. But you're taking a stand. You're taking a stand for 
love. You're taking a stand for unity. You're standing up for the health of people around the world. You're standing up for the rights of people of color. You're standing up against police brutality. You got to take a stand. The world doesn't need more entrepreneurs who want to product who who want to produce more useless bullshit to make a buck. I mean, we already we already have so much in today's world. What the world needs are entrepreneurs who will create goods, services, products that actually change the world at its core. So you can be Nike and you can sell shoes and great to take a stand and see when Nike did that and they stood with Colin Kaepernick, their stock went up like crazy. Today, I wear Nikes because Nike is the company that I connect with. I don't wear Adidas. What the hell do they stand for? And in a survey of American consumers, 75% of them want companies and CEOs to take a stand. The book talks about that, right? So what I wish our movement, the personal growth movement could start doing is start taking a freaking stand. Mind Valley will not work with a teacher or an author unless they stand for something. Now, everybody can, can, can have your own unique stand. You could stand for the environment. You could stand for the poor. You could stand for better food. But you got to speak up. And we want to work with authors and teachers and coaches who actually speak up and are not just concerned about making a buck. They care about actually creating a legacy and changing the future of humanity. Business people do it for the dollars, but real entrepreneurs, they do it to push the human race forward. This is a book to create more real entrepreneurs. How do you take a stand today and have it be an authentic one? You know, because I feel like a lot of brands uh, will um, act like they're, you know, they'll they'll post something on their grid on social media, but there's a lot of what has been termed signaling today, you know, a lot of virtue signaling where people really aren't putting a lot of skin in the game, but they're projecting like this image as if they are, uh, in, you know, invested. So how can listeners um, take this amazing message that you've shared with them and put it into action in a way that is not only authentic, you know, but also impactful? Right. Right. Well, the first thing is, the first thing is that virtue signaling is true. But what we have to remember is we shouldn't get into what I call the liberal shooting circle. Hmm. So this is what a liberal shooting circle is. You, you, you know what a shooting, um, it's, it's a group of people standing in a circle, pointing a rifle at each other and shooting each other. Nobody wins. Everyone dies. Now, I'm seeing that happen a lot. I'm seeing people who label themselves liberals, who label themselves progressive, attack other progressives because their stand was slightly imperfect. I just saw Jamila Jalil, the actress in the good, from The Good Place, amazing show, amazing actress. I follow Jamila because, you know, she's, she, she has a, a, a stand for, for um, self-love, for self-esteem, for um, helping women embrace their bodies at whatever age, at whatever shape, which is a beautiful stand. So I follow her on Instagram. I think she's an incredible woman. But I just saw her attack J.K. Rowling because J.K. Rowling tweeted something that she, Jamila, felt was unfair to transgender people. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, and I admit, J.K. Rowling's tweet was a little bit, you know, weird. I, I looked at it and I thought it was weird, but I wouldn't attack J.K. Rowling because J.K. Rowling is is another wonderful woman who has been incredibly successful, who has donated hundreds of millions to charity, who has been a hardcore activist for 20 years. But here you see two people who, if they probably sat down for coffee, would have a wonderful conversation. They both have a good heart going to war against each other. Mm. Now, I'm not defending JK's tweet. I think it was, I thought it was stupid, but I would never say that someone, 
But I saw people calling out J.K. Rowling and saying that she's fake, that she's a phony, that that they can't believe they followed her for all these years. Why is it that somebody can build up so much? Why is it that somebody can 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 be so good for decades and then one stupid tweet, they be, they get judged on that? And we see that all all the time. And so. I see Amazon.com and Jeff Bezos really supporting Black Lives Matter. Okay, Amazon put up a, a, a beautiful emblem on their website. Awesome. Jeff Bezos is sharing all his 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 Instagram right now is fully supporting Black Lives Matter. But people are saying, oh no, you're a phony. Like, look at how you mistreat your 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 warehouse workers. Look, yes, question how Amazon treats its warehouse workers, but let's not call Jeff Bezos a phony. Because we don't understand the nuances of what's going on in that warehouse. So we have this habit where we demand perfection. We demand that our leaders, our saints, need to be at this incredible ideal. If you're liberal, that's that that's what liberals sometimes seem to think. And if you make one mistake, you get torn down. Like literally completely torn down. The people on the other side, they don't give a fuck. That's how Trump is president. So the thing is. I don't care about virtue signaling. If you're if you're willing to 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 use your your platform to get in the game to support a cause, I'm not demanding that you're perfect. It's a start, mm -hmm. and I applaud you for that. Yeah, act if it feels authentic to you, and then just go in that direction. Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I want to go back to the uh, the the Silva Ultra Mind meditation method that you were talking about, and the Alpha yeah. and Theta waves that you were talking about. First, I mean, if you could tell us a little bit about that meditation method and the meditation, um, sure. and, and how it's informed yeah. your method and how that's different, and then also like what tools you've used to kind of know whether or not you're in an Alpha state or a Theta state, and how my listeners can kind of uh, toy yeah. with those with those uh, you know so aspects first of consciousness too. So first, putting everything on the table, um, the Silva method has been around for a really long time. There are so many books uh, written by Jose Silva, and I love these books. I, I, for example, this is a book, Sales Power. This is so worn out because um, it was written in like the 1970s. I got this from my from my dad's bookshelf. So there are hundreds of books on the Silva method, uh, but Jose Silva passed away in 1999, mm -hmm. um, and his family reached out to me recently and asked me to take over his legacy and be the new face of the Silva method. So I just wanted to to be completely open on that. Wow. So if you go to mindvalley.com forward slash Silva, you will see the new Silva Ultramind system. Um, I'm teaching Jose's work because I was a, his instructor for five years, but I'm the new face. So I just wanted to put it out there so you guys know that that I'm connected to it. That's but awesome. here's, how you can, here's how you can learn this on your own, okay? So all of us are in the alpha level of mind. The alpha level of mind is when your brain frequency has gone from beta or the waking state down to a more relaxed state. So if you could measure this, your brain frequency at beta is, is beating between 14 to 21 cycles per second. Now, there are many different uh, tools you can use. I have a muse band um, on my shelf. Uh, you can go for neuro training. But when you reduce that frequency to seven to 14 cycles per second, that range is called alpha. And it's a very relaxed range. You're in alpha maybe when you're reading a book and you're so immersed in the book. You're in alpha when you're meditating. You're in alpha when you're having a light nap. You're in alpha sometimes as you're just driving a car and, and you're just having the most amazing experience just being in flow. What they found is that sports people are in alpha, like a baseball um, 
batter is in alpha just before he hits the ball. His brain goes into goes into alpha. It's this relaxed state. When we talk about flow, when we talk about, you know, just just being in these states of extreme creativity, often that is alpha. Now, all of us are in alpha when we wake up in the morning. For the first three to five minutes when we wake up, you're in alpha. So here's how um, Silva would teach people to, to be able to go into that state anytime. So it's called a 40-day technique, and you can, you can do this. It's really easy. For 10 days, every time you wake up, go use the bathroom. Don't brush your teeth, though, but go use the bathroom if you need. Come back to bed and um, sit, sit up in whatever. You don't have to be in a cross-legged position, but sit up, close your eyes, and count from 100 to 1. Okay, as you count from 100 to 1, stay awake. The counting keeps you conscious. What you're doing is, is you're training your brain to go into deeper and deeper and deeper states without consciousness going away and you falling asleep. Now, after 10 days, you'll be able to get to that deep alpha waking state by counting from 50 to 1. Then for another 10 days, you're going to count from 25 to 1. And then for the final 10 days, day 31 to 40, you count from 10 to 1. When I was a kid growing up in Malaysia and I couldn't afford to take a silver class at the age of 14, that's how I trained myself. Now, when you hit one, you're in that alpha state. Now, what do you do there? There are a number of different things. One of the things you can do is, um, is solve problems. Think about what aspects in life that maybe you want to solve. Maybe it's a chapter of a book you want to write. Maybe it's a new podcast you want to create. Maybe it's an article you want to write. Maybe it's a problem at work. Maybe it's a problem at relationship. Just let your brain play, play with those problems. What you find is that often insights, ideas hit you when you're in that state. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing you can do is creative visualization. Now, Silva had a strict protocol for that. Um, but the basic is this. Imagine there's a giant TV screen in front of you, six feet out, 15 degrees above the line of horizon. Why 15 degrees? Studies show that if your eyes are up, actually 20 degrees above the line of horizon, if your eyes are 20 degrees above your line of horizon, when your eyes are close, it induces alpha waves. Try it out now. I mean, any of your listeners, close your eyes, raise your eyeballs slightly, 20 degrees, and you'll feel this feeling of relaxation. Hmm. So you have what is called a mental screen, 20 degrees above the line of horizon, and on that, you visualize as if you're seeing a TV show, you visualize the outcomes in life that you want. You visualize the deals that you want to close. You visualize the home you want to live in. You visualize the type of relationship you want. Um, and so those, those are just really basic techniques. Now, Silva goes really significantly deeper. He teaches you how to go into the theta level of mind, which is when many people are asleep, but he teaches you how to get into the theta level of mind and turn on waking psychic ability. Now, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say waking psychic ability. What I mean here is you learn how if you are given the name, age, gender, and location of someone unknown to you, you can connect with their energy and see where they might have an abnormality in their biology. What? Uh, you might detect that they might have arthritis or they might be in a, in a, in a depression, and you learn how to use healing ability to influence their their body and their soul so crazy huh but again as i said proven by science so dr william broad of the san antonio mind science training center he did a really interesting experiment with some i think it was almost 700 participants so he would put people in two different rooms and one group of people were called senders the other group of people were called receivers now the receivers were hooked up to like 19 different machines that measured their 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 
biology, for example, skin resistance, it's called a galvanic skin resistance, GSR, or measuring their brain waves, or measuring their heartbeat, or measuring um, uh, sweat, and, and, and so on, 19 different machines measuring their neurology. Now, at a specific time, say 153, the sender would be told to think positive thoughts of the receiver. Mm. That's it. It's positive thoughts. And they found that at, the, at those exact times, the receivers would, something would shift in their body. Wow. It was a measurable wow. shift. So if the sender was thinking of the receiver at 153, at 153, something was shifting. Maybe the receiver's galvanic skin response was changing. Um, but that was a real thing. And they found that 57% of the people they tested, 57% of the average American you pulled off the street could do this, could influence someone else's biology. Now, you can try this yourself with plants. I'm sure you guys have heard about how we can use our words to influence the growth of plants. Many schools are now using this to teach kids the impact of bullying. You've got two plants, one plant you give love, you, 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 you think positively about the, the other plant. The other plant, you insult it, you call it a dirty little shrub, you know, <laughs> or whatever, whatever an insult, whatever's the meanest insult you can give a plant. And um, you see that the plant growth is different. And so schools are using this to teach the impact of words and bullying. You can do this in your garden. But our thoughts influence life. They influence plants. They influence animals. They influence other human beings. And you can learn, you can train this. And this is when you learn the art of healing. Now, you can do this on yourself. You can do it on other people. Wow. So, some plants may uh, get off being called a dirty little shrub. You never know. <laughs> um, this is this is super interesting. So and then so this theta state, this theta state, we're, we're typically in it when we're asleep. But I mean, that seemed to be where all the magic happened for you. Right. I mean, when you when yeah. you were finally able so, to tap into that um, state of consciousness, that's when you're it seems like your career kind of right. exploded. Exactly. So so many. So Daniel Goleman wrote a great book called Altered Traits. And Stephen Kotler wrote another great book called Stealing Fire, also about um and both these books were about altered states. Daniel Goldman's book, mind you, is called Altered Traits, not Altered States. But both these books by Daniel Goldman and Stephen Kotler, two really well-respected authors, talk about the power of accessing altered states to magnify your work. Kotler says there's now a trillion-dollar industry from CEOs to Marines. Everyone is using altered states to enhance their performance. So when we talk about flow, when we talk about mojo, when we talk about even when we talk about an ayahuasca experience, people are going into altered states. Now, Daniel Goleman says there are there are four ways to get there. There is neurotraining. Okay, there and that's that can be pretty expensive. So I'm sure you guys have heard of the Muse Band. Um, it's it's in a high shop. I'll, I'll grab it later. But you can get a Muse Band. There, there are many different different tools you can use for neurotraining. Those are really basic. I'd say it's like kindergarten level training, although if you have access to nothing else, it's useful. I go to Dave Asprey's 40 Years of Zen. Okay, that's expensive, 15 grand, but truly powerful. The second form is breath work. The third form is meditation. And the fourth form is pharmacology. That is Ibuga, Ayahuasca, Peyote. Um, I do all of these. What I've found and what Daniel Goldman says is that the safest and easiest with the most consistent results is meditation. Yes, ayahuasca had, is incredible. I've, I've developed entire product ideas in ayahuasca, products which are now being built. Wow. But um, it's messy and you're puking. <laughs> it's not something that you do um, on a day-to-day -day basis to tap into these altered states. But meditation, once you master that, that is the secret sauce. That is the ticket.
Yeah, that's super now. If you want to master, if, if you want to master meditation, there's a there's a format I developed uh, called the six phase meditation, hmm. and um, I made it free, so you can learn it at mindvalley.com forward slash learn dash meditation. It's completely free. It's being used by professional athletes from every major American sports team right now. Uh, Reggie Jackson of the LA Clippers just um, came on my Instagram to talk about how we changed his life. Tony Gonzalez, who's in the NFL Hall of Fame. Um, he's been using it for, for a long time. He just spoke about it in the New York Times. Bianca Andrescu, who just beat Serena Williams in the U.S. Open, she's taken my seminar on it and credited uh, my, my first book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, with helping her uh, beat Serena. So sports people are using it because think about it. If you're in sports, the seconds matter. The points matter. It's measurable, right? If you're in business and you use it, you're going to see results. But you may come home and go, wow, I had a really great day, but there's no scoring system. But sports people, they see the scoring system, which is why the six-phase meditation is being used by so many sports stars right now. Anyway, it's completely free. Google it. I put it up free in the web because I wanted to get it out to as many people as I can. And um, your users can listen to it free. Now, when it comes to a meditation routine, what does that look like for you? Is it every single day? Is it once once a day, twice a day? So. So first, let's talk about the six phase. For me, it's once a day. And it looks like this. It's six phases that you go through. Now, a lot of people get bored of meditation, and I don't blame them. Most people who start meditation do not continue because they don't know what to do with clearing their mind, with keeping thoughts out. My philosophy is different. My philosophy comes from my, my study of Jose Silva and, and, and the Silva method and the six phase. And Jose Silva said, it's not about clearing your mind. Rather, if you have problems surface, turn your problems into a project. So you are looking at your problem and you're deciding, okay, I'm not going to let this impact me. I'm going to figure out how to turn this into a project. So, so what I do in the sixth phase is I apply this technique. And the first thing is, the first phase is compassion. It's a simple uh, um, Buddhist loving kindness ritual. You breathe in, you breathe out, you feel a bubble of compassion expand to the entire, from you to your, your family, your workplace, your city, your country, the entire world. That's compassion. It takes about two minutes. The second thing is gratitude. You express gratitude for three areas of your life, your personal life, your work life, and yourself. The third phase is forgiveness. You go through a simple forgiveness ritual to remove all charges, all, all issues, anything that you feel you need to forgive, you help. You, you, you forgive. Forgiveness cleanses the soul. And study after study is now showing that forgiveness helps with so many things from better heart health to improving your endurance to even improving things such as your vertical jump. Hmm. The University of Trick did a study. After people practice forgiveness, they can jump higher. After I shared that, a lot of NBA, <laughs> NBA folks wow. reached out to me, asked them to teach them forgiveness. That's amazing. Um, now, that's phase one, two, three. All of those are focused on present emotion. Now you go to phase four, five, and six, and these are focused on the future. Phase one, two, and three is really focused on the Buddha. Phase four, five, six is focused on the badass. Because you see, meditation isn't just about endless introspection. It's about using the gifts of introspection to go out there and shake and rattle and shift the world. So phase four is creative visualization, you see your future, any method you want. I teach a method called merging, but any method you want, you see your life three years ahead and what do you want to bring out in that life? And then phase five, you see your day-to-day -day unfold perfectly. How will your day-to-day -day unfold perfectly? And finally, phase six, 
you ask for a blessing from whatever higher power you believe in, whether it's Jesus or Muhammad or 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 whatever. You ask for a blessing. Um, and this is where we unite the sixth face with the, the beautiful religious traditions and cultures of the world. That's amazing. I think this is probably, I mean, going to be so useful for people, especially today. You know, everybody today, the whole world seems to be just inflamed. Uh, yeah. For, I mean, in many ways for, well, there are bad reasons for that. I mean, the coronavirus pandemic, which, you know, we uh, seemingly... Uh, have little control over, although although we are getting more empowered with the data that seems to be um, emerging by the day. But then also, you know, Black Lives Matter, which is a very important moment for people. Um, but it's also a moment that I think uh, can leave people feeling burnt out about like what, you know, what's yeah. going on in the media. And, you know, so how can we better um, cater? How can we use these tools to uh, be more at peace with what's going on while still being effective in our um, in our activism, if activism is what we right. uh, is what we are aiming to do with our with our lives right now. So I think there are two different mental models that everyone in the world right now needs to start exploring. So a mental model that word comes from the MBA professor Sri Kumar Rao, and he says a mental model is simply your world worldview. It's how you perceive the world. You could have a mental model that the world is a dangerous place. You could have a mental model that you live in a benevolent universe. So there are two mental models that I think can really help us in the world today. The first mental model is this. We have to move our compassion towards cosmocentrism. So a lot of people are kind. They are generous. They are good people. But in actuality, that kindness, that generosity, that goodness is what is at what philosopher Ken Wilber calls the ethnocentric level. Mm. In other words, you're open, kind, and generous to people who look like you, who pray like you, who live in the same country, who dress like you. But if someone looks different, mm -mm, you don't know. I, I don't. You don't know if you can trust them. This is why we see there are certain countries that when there are tens of thousands of refugees who want to come in, certain countries like Canada will open their doors and say, welcome. Right. We're going to integrate you. Canada is is, is operating at the world centric level. Um, the, the Canadian leadership, the Canadian government, um, they see they their compassion and kindness extends beyond just their border. That's world centrism. You see yourself as part of the human race and not a singular race, not the white race or the black race. You see yourself as part of the human race. You're not denying your culture. You're not denying that you're black. You're not denying that you're Indian. I'm proud of my Indian heritage. I'm proud of my Malaysian heritage. I'm proud of my American upbringing. But you're embracing all of that together. That's world centrism. So when you see nations are like Germany, like Canada are saying, okay, these refugees, we're going to let them in. They're operating at the world centric level. That is actually a more advanced level of living. Um, but 70% of the world right now exists at what is called ethnocentric. And that is where the people are good, they're kind, they're compassionate, but they have this fear of people who are different from them mm. and their kindness and compassion stays within a box. When we talk about building border walls, we are operating at the ethnocentric level. Now, I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying we can do better. We can move to world centrism. Now, there's a level above that called cosmocentrism. And cosmocentrism is where we have to aspire to be. Cosmocentrism is where we feel our compassion to all life, to all human beings, multiple generations down. It means in our actions, we're asking ourselves, will this make the world better? Not just for all human beings today, but for my children's 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 children.
And when you think like that, the way you lead a business, the way you lead a country becomes different. Now, the first mental model I, I think all of us need to adopt in today's world is we need to move towards cosmocentrism. We need to make an effort to understand people who look different, who pray different, who, who dress differently. And we need to seek greater empathy and understanding. Now, this applies across the political divide as well. Don't, we may disagree left between the left and the right, but we have to understand both sides need each other for America to be in balance. And so I never call, there are members of my family who will have views that other people will call racist. And yes, those their views are pretty racist, but I don't insult them. I sit down for dinner with them and I try to help them look at things from a different way. I have friends who fear Muslim people. And so I organized a dinner where my friend came, where my friend who was a white man, wonderful guy, but he feared Muslim people, got to have dinner with my Muslim friends to create understanding. That's how we have to start moving the world towards world centrism. Now, what many people today forget, especially people on the left, and I'm, 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 I'm a progressive as well. I, I lean towards Joe Biden, definitely not Donald Trump, but it saddens me that sometimes we attack Trump supporters um, and we call them stupid uh, or we call them racist. Ken Wilber says that is classism. We have to rather extend our hand and seek understanding. Okay, so that's one. Now, as we are doing that, there's another important nuance. If a politician displays ethnocentrism, do not vote for him. Ken Wilber wrote a book called Trump in the Post-Truth World, and he says, along with ethnocentrism, along with the politicians like Bolsonaro or Trump, who are saying, build a wall, like, don't trust that race, you will see all the other dark sides of ethnocentrism, all the other dark sides that come when we give in to fear. You will see misogyny. You will see corruption. You will see racism. All of that will emerge. We are seeing this right now. So I get and I understand that people may have voted for Trump because they want to see an entrepreneur in power, but ethnocentrism should disqualify him. It should instantly disqualify him. It should. You cannot vote someone who talks about Muslims the way he did, who talks about Mexicans the way he did, who helped take out a New York Times ad to ask those, those black men who were accused of the Central Park murders to be imprisoned. Th those, those men were proven to be innocent. The, the study was called the Central Park Five. There's a documentary on it right now on Netflix, mm. but you can't vote for people like that. So that's the first mental model. Aspire to move towards cosmocentrism. Not all of us are there. Not all of us are there yet. There's so much that we have to learn to, to do. There's a spectrum of racism. On one end, the far extreme of the spectrum is terrorism. You will kill someone because they are Jewish or they are Muslim or they are white. At the other end of the spectrum, where we have to seek to aspire to be, you will stand with someone, even if taking that stand will cause your business to take a hit or your follower count to go down slightly or people to criticize you or call you an angry liberal. You will take that stand. Okay, so that's the first mental model. Now, the second mental model is this. Um, the second mental model is, oh, oh, and by the way, the reason the sixth phase starts with a compassion practice where you expand your compassion all across the world is because we want to train people to be cosmocentrists, to see their love as emanating everyone, whether you're American or Chinese. This is not anti-patriotism. This doesn't mean you are, you're not aligning with your own culture. 
it means that you're recognizing that we all share one planet and breathe the same air. Now, the second mental model is Wait, this. Before, before you get into that, you know, I just I love what you said so much. And um, and I think it's important to, to, you know, remind people that you can't hate the ethnocentrist, you know, because you can't hate the because yeah. it's not their fault. You know, it's the fault right. of the system. In fact, just before recording this, it's so funny. I retweeted something that uh, the author Joyce Carol Oates wrote which I just think was so beautifully put. She said, she wrote, unfortunately, xenophobia is inborn in our species. Xenophobia, for those that don't know, it's, a, it's fear of the other. It's literally yeah. hardwired in us. There's some data that suggests that, um, that babies, you know, at, uh, I don't know, immediately, you know, after they're born, they look at all faces basically for the same amount of time. But after a period of months, they begin to preferentially uh, look at faces that, are more similar to the to the to the you know to their mother to their exactly. parents, which right. you know which I mean that's like uh you from an evolutionary standpoint you you can under why that you you can understand why that is but then so Joyce Carol Oates goes on to say nature is pitiless in its instincts which is why we must all be educated to rise above it so exactly yeah so I mean I just I just love that tweet and what you were talking about about ethnocentrism versus geocentrism we have to I mean it's going to take some work but with understanding and compassion comes I think the uh the opportunity to rise above ethnocentrism right. as you so beautifully said and enter geocentrism which is so crucial yeah cosmocentrism, cosmocentrism. The, the, the second the second mental model is this is is to be spiritual doesn't mean you become neutral or you opt out. You must balance love with power. And this is where what we spoke about in terms of MLK's message is so important. Because I debated that. I battled with that. I There were so many times when I wanted to speak out and I'm like, no, I can't. Like, I teach meditation. I can't. I can't speak out against a politician. Today I realized I was wrong. If we don't speak out, who will? And so... We need to speak out. We need to vote. We need to get political. And I don't mean political in terms of bashing another person. I mean political in terms of get into politics. Somebody um, wrote on my Instagram last night, Vision, I follow you and you've been my, my teacher for the longest time, but I cannot believe you made a political statement. And I'm like, actually, no, you got that wrong. I didn't make a political statement. I took a stand. I'm not bashing the people on the right. I simply took a stand against one figure, Donald Trump, because he's the great divider. When you take down the great divider, are you dividing or are you unifying? I believe you're unifying. And so it's important. And, and, and that's why if you're, if you're liberal right now and you want to ensure that Trump doesn't win the next election, support the Republicans who are moving away from Trump with respect. Right. So support Colin Powell's statement, support um, um, General Mattis's statement, celebrate them, applaud them, support Mitt Romney. And, and help the Republican Party save itself. But don't attack, don't don't attack your parents or get into a fight with your parents because you think they are racist. They are simply growing up. They grew up in a different era. Help them change their views, but don't attack. But do do call out and do stand up against the, 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 the dividers, white supremacists, Trump, and other people who are tearing this nation apart. Yeah, well said. He, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a political guy. 
Um, and I'm not registered as either Democrat or Republican, but I mean, he really has not displayed a ton of compassion during, during this moment, you know, during, during the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and I think he should have. I, th I don't think that he's acted necessarily very presidential. Um, no. But uh, and that's not a that's not a political statement. You know, that's just like a you know one human being look at looking no. at how another but, human being has acted. But 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 let's go further. Why aren't you voting? Are you going to vote this year? Am I going to vote? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And and look, if you really believe Trump is what America needs, vote for Trump. But vote, vote. But but as you vote, if you really believe that the country has to change, use your voice and speak out without attacking, without putting up fake news. Speak out with the facts, with data, with respect. Great political leaders do that. There is a, there's a Republican governor right now. Um, and he's doing amazing. I wish I could remember his name. He has a 77% approval during COVID. And there was just an article about him. And um, it's amazing because his constituency is mostly Democrat. But he has a 77% approval rating. And you know what he's doing that's so different from other politicians? Hmm. He's speaking with science, facts, and data. This is what I recommend that we do. I understand that you're feeling this way. This is, how we this is what we should do during the time of quarantine. He's speaking in such a beautiful, rich way, demonstrating world centrism. Um, and, and that's how we all have to operate. But that does not mean that you shut your mouth against, against injustice. Well said. I couldn't agree more. Well, we're, we're almost out of time, Vision. Um, I feel like I could keep talking to you for hours. Um, and by the way, I love that, you, uh, that you're so into Ken Wilber because I've actually, um, not many people are that aware of his work, but I actually read, I think I've read a few books by him. Uh, yeah. The one that comes to mind is One Taste. Uh, I, was a, I was a big fan of his for a while. Um, but uh, before I ask you the last question that gets asked to everybody on this show, um, what? Where can listeners find you on social media, and where can they pick up your new book, The Buddha and the Badass? Well, you can you can find me at at vision, at v i s h e n uh, on Instagram, and uh, you can find The Buddha and the Badass on mindvalley.com forward slash Buddha Badass, or just follow me on Instagram at vision, and uh, the book is probably in my LinkedIn bio. I hope it is. It'll be embarrassing if it isn't because it just came out today. I love that. Well, you're the man. Thank you for all the wisdom that you've dropped uh, for my audience. I'm sure they're very uh, appreciative of it. What does it mean to you to live a genius life? Well, to me, living a genius life means that every single day I'm learning something new and I'm taking care of my brain. I'm eating well based on your, your ideas and your books. I've interviewed you for about two hours, I think, on what to eat so that my brain is performing at its optimal state. Love that. Well, it seems to be. So, you know, you should have thank no you. worries there. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for giving me the last you know, hour of your time. This was awesome. To all you guys out there in podcast land, thank you so much for, uh, for tuning in. Please, uh, you know, highlight your favorite quote from Vision. Tag him, tag me. Uh, I'm sure, you know, Vision will reshare it. I'll definitely reshare it. Um, yeah. Text me to let me know what you thought of this episode of the show. You can do that by texting 310-299-9401. And I will catch all y'all on the next episode. Peace. Thank you, Max. Always great to see you. And by the way, it's spelled, um, for those of you who want to find me on Instagram, I know my name is hard to spell. It's Vision, V-I-S-H-E-N, six letters. You're a good follow. So I'm sure my, I'm sure my followers, are, my, uh, my listeners are going to come over and say hi. Um, thanks again, brother. Thank you, guys. Bye.
Ingenious. Ingenious. Ingenious.